0: anxiety. And I want to talk to you about how to train your child to reframe their own anxious thoughts and how to use their thinking to get out of their anxiety. It's a really powerful skill and it has to be honed and it has to be trained. And that's something that we can do for our kids. And it's something that we have to do in a very specific way and maybe sometimes a counterintuitive way. And I want to talk to you all about how to do that. But before we get started, I would like to thank NoCD for sponsoring this episode. NoCD offers affordable, effective, convenient therapy. They're available in the United States and even outside of the United States. And you can schedule a free 15-minute consultation to even see if NoCD is a right fit for you and your child. Just go to treatmyocd.com. That is treatmyocd.com. I'll leave a link in the show notes. Hearing a lot of the AT Parenting community members finally connecting with therapists because of no CD. So very excited about how that's opening up treatment for so many families. Check that out. Okay. Today, we're not gonna be talking about OCD, but today we're gonna be talking about anxiety. And I want to preface this whole conversation with this is for anxiety, not intrusive thoughts related to OCD, because I don't encourage people to talk to their OCD, maybe be sarcastic and agree with it or say, Hey, I know it's you OCD, but the way that I train kids to deal with Anxious thoughts is very different because you can talk to your anxiety. And I know this because I have had an anxiety disorder my entire life. And I'm raising three kids with OCD and anxiety. And I have taught them on how to handle their anxious thoughts. It's very, very effective because I know for me, my anxiety starts often with an upsetting anxious thought. You know, am I safe? Are they staring at me? Am I looking stupid? Is someone gonna break in? And these are my anxious thoughts. Are my kids gonna choke? Those are my main themes. Am I gonna choke? Since I've been a widow, I've got new beautiful anxious thoughts. You know, am I gonna die alone? Am I gonna be able to handle this alone? What's gonna happen if this happens? What's gonna happen if that happens, right? The whole, the whole what if. And so for a lot of us, and I'm gonna even talk about with panic, because panic, a panic disorder. And even I would say emetophobia, the fear of throwing up, sometimes they don't start with an anxious thought. Sometimes they start with an anxious feeling. I'm feeling shaky. Uh, I feel nauseous. But then a thought comes attached to the feeling. And so even if there's not an initial thought, it is more of an initial feeling. It is the thought that will either grow the anxiety or calm the anxiety down. And so when it comes to anxiety, There is so much power, but the cognitive part of cognitive behavioral therapy is powerful and huge. And so, I want to talk to you. I just want to walk you through how to help your kids with their anxious thoughts. So, this was a topic that was recommended by my AT Parenting Community parents. I have members in my AT Parenting Community, and I ask them all the time What do you want me to talk about in the podcast? What YouTube videos do you want me to make? And that's kind of the benefit. Of being a member is you kind of get a front seat to my content. You get to kind of create a lot of my free content because you're a member and I value your opinion. And I want to make things that are going to be helpful to parents who are in the trenches along with me, because I am in the trenches as well. So the AT Parenting Community is closed right now to new members, but we will open our doors again in May. And so you can get on the wait list at atparentingcommunity.com. And that is separate from my public Facebook group. Sometimes people get that confused. They think that's part of my AT parenting community. It's not. My AT parenting community is a paid membership and we are a tighter, smaller group of parents where they get online classes. They get weekly live classes from me and Zoom support group calls and a whole bunch of other stuff that I'm not going to go into because I want to get right to this topic. Okay. So the first thing we want to do with our anxious kids, and I'm going to just break this down very simply, and I know life is messy, and so it's not going to be as sequential or as beautiful as I'm going to lay it out for you, but it's important to make it simple so that you kind of get the steps. And honestly, nothing I'm going to say, and I know I say this a lot, nothing I'm going to say is rocket science. It's all going to be pretty obvious, and you're going to be like, "Yeah, of course, right." But a lot of times, just having someone lay it out for you in a very simplistic, sequential way, one can just remind you of this is what you need to be doing at home. Two, you might get some new ideas on how to do it. And three, for some of you, you might not have just thought of it in this way. And so it should benefit anyone who's listening, even if you just need a refresher. So, a lot of times, what we do as parents, and I know I'm guilty of this as well, And I think even therapists are guilty of this at times, depending on their training or their, the length of time they've had to like kind of finesse their style is we want to swoop in sometimes and fix the things for our children or our clients. And so we might tell them what their anxious thoughts are. We might tell them how to reframe their anxious thoughts. We might tell them what to think of instead. We might tell them exactly what to do and how to do it. And that makes us feel really good. We're like, I already gave you all the tools. And I know with my own kids, I have been guilty of that because it's quicker and you feel it feels better because you're like, boom, I just told you what to think instead of that. Or I told you what to do instead of that. And now all you have to do is just do it. But just like you can't go into the gym and literally build your child's muscles for them. That would be weird and kind of impossible or you could probably do it, but it'd be really weird. and People would definitely stare at you. Like, why is she holding her kid's legs down and moving back and forth? It'd be bizarre. It's the same thing. You can't build your child's metaphorical muscle on how to deal with their anxious thoughts or feelings because they have to do it themselves. And one of the best ways to really prepare our kids long-term, and this actually goes for anxiety and OCD. A lot of what I'm saying in the general area is for both. You have to put out the breadcrumbs, and I do say this a lot, so maybe you've heard me say this before, you have to put out the breadcrumbs and lead them to the answers and lead them to the behaviors so that they have the aha moment and they do it themselves. Now, that is longer, more difficult, harder to engage them, harder to motivate them, frustrating to see them not doing what they need to be doing or thinking what they need to be thinking, but it has more long-term staying power. Because they're doing it, not you. So the very first thing that we want to do for our anxious kids, besides educating them about anxiety, which is, a, is an obvious one, the first step in anything I ever talk about is educating your child. Does your child know that they have anxiety? Do they know what anxiety is? Have you read them books, shown them videos, had discussions? Have you named it, personified it? You know, do you have language for anxiety? These are all precursors to what I'm going to be talking about. That's foundational stuff that you should be doing. It's foundational stuff that I teach parents in my AT Parenting community. And it's stuff that I teach in my online school, how to teach kids to crush anxiety. That's the first step is we need to come up with language for this. We need to educate our child on how anxiety works. And that's a really important thing. I do have YouTube videos. Um, I have a playlist for kids with anxiety on my YouTube channel, go to YouTube and just type in my name. You can search my name and you'll find my channel. And then look at my playlist. I do have a playlist for children. I'd say like, do you have anxiety? That's a playlist for kids directly. But if you want step-by-step directions on how to teach your kids, you know, what anxiety is and how to build these skills, I do have an online course. And you can find out more about that at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. I'm going to walk you through it in a very simplistic way today. So once your child knows what anxiety is, we're not going to go into that, you want to teach them to be a lifeguard to their, not a lifeguard, let me take that back. You want to teach them how to be a security guard, <laughs> a little bit more authoritative about their thoughts. And so this is what I do with my anxious thoughts, having generalized anxiety disorder, having social anxiety disorder, you know, a lot of disorders and panic disorder in the past. I am very, very aware of my anxious thoughts. And so we want to teach our kids. What are what I call your red thoughts? And so I'm going to talk a lot about my red versus green thought metaphor. If you don't like that, you can use a different, you can use different language. I'm just visual. And that's what we use in my online course. And it's what I use at my house, but you can, you can replace those. So I call anxious thoughts, red thoughts. And I actually talk about this in my anxiety sucks, a teen survival guide book as well. I use this analogy of red thoughts and green thoughts. Do not do this with people with OCD (laughs) because we don't want to teach mental compulsions. But, and if they have anxiety and OCD, and you know that that this is clearly an anxiety issue, you can talk about your anxious thoughts, but I wouldn't use red or green because you just want to move away from anything too rigid, if that makes any sense. But for the rest of you, we do actually use red and green thoughts with my kids who have OCD. So I know that just completely cancels out what I said, but you have to be careful. And so um, if you're not comfortable or not sure, then just don't use that language because we don't want them to be canceling out thoughts because that can be a mental compulsion. So if you have a child with anxiety and OCD, just be careful, talk to your therapist about what approaches to use. So I want my child to be a gatekeeper to their thoughts. And so when I have an anxious thought and I call it paro or paranoia, I'm aware, oh, paro is talking to me, right? And so you want to say to your child, what are your red thoughts? And so I'm going to use my daughter as an example as well. When she had a metaphobia, the fear of throwing up, she has sensory motor OCD as well. So she does have some OCD things going on and emetophobia can be considered, depends on the clinician. Some people consider it anxiety. Some people consider it OCD. It's treated very much the same as OCD, but I do use red and green thoughts with emetophobia, not to make everything more muddy. I'm sorry. I feel like that's what I'm doing today, but there's not always definitives on these things. So we would say, what's your red thought? You know, she was getting nauseous in the morning. I'm just going to use her as an example, but you can replace what I'm talking about with your child's particular issues, because the foundation is the same regardless of what we're talking about. And so she would say, my red thoughts are, I'm going to throw up. I feel nauseous. I feel sick. So it started with a feeling for her. And then the thought is, I feel like I'm going to throw up. And then I said, what's your next red thought or what other red thoughts do you have? What does, and we call it OCloud because she has OCD as well. We use one name just to make it simple. I'd say, what does OCloud say is going to happen? And, you know, what's your red thought about that? And then she'd say, well, my red thought is what if I throw up at school? My friends aren't going to like me. I don't know what to do. Right. So those are her red thoughts. We'll keep it simplistic. And so then we talked about what are your green thoughts? So green thoughts, and this is honestly completely not rocket science, but when we're working with kids, we need to create friendly, easy approaches in a very simplistic way, and we need to walk them through these skills because they don't naturally have them. most anxious kids that come into my office or did come into my office, I would say, "What do you do when you get anxious? What do you do with those thoughts and almost a hundred percent of the time, the kids will say, "I try to distract myself," and I'll say, "How's that going for you like Dr. Phil <laughs> and they'll say, "Well, you know they kind of come back, you know and they keep coming back, and I have to try to like get my mind off of it and it's tiring and I try to keep myself really busy because I don't wanna have my worrying thoughts and it's not the answer. It doesn't mean that you can't refocus your attention on something that you enjoy, kind of like act, like the acceptance commitment therapy approach of going to focus on my values or things I enjoy. But I also have to deal with these anxious thoughts on some level, Um, I can't ignore them. Even if I acknowledge them, and we'll talk about that in a second, I have to do something with these thoughts. I almost equate it to like, anxiety is like pounding at the door. And if you don't even go and open the door and say, I know you're there. Okay. I can hear you banging and address your anxiety on some level. It's going to bang harder and harder because it's like, hello, I'm, I'm knocking on the door. Can you not hear me? Let me get louder. Let me get more disruptive. And so we do have to deal with the uninvited guest at the door. That's how I think of anxiety. Some people have nicer analogies, like it's a lifeguard and it's there to protect you. And that's okay too. Like whatever works for you, but we do want to address anxiety directly before we go on to the next step. So with my daughter, we talked about what her green thoughts are and her green thoughts are things that kind of counteract her, her red thoughts. And this is where people kind of get hung up. Um, So they might think that a green thought would be, I'm not going to get sick or it's just my anxiety. I'm not going to get sick. And really we want to lean into accepting at times, depending on the theme, the worst case scenario. So with the metaphobia, and this is why I'm saying it's kind of treated like OCD. Her green thought isn't, I will not throw up. Her green thought is not, this is just anxiety. Her green thought is, it can be part of like, this is my O cloud. My O cloud makes me feel really nauseous. My feelings of nausea are real. Because they are. And I may or may not throw up today, but either way, I can handle my discomfort. And we have a plan in place, right? So, part of dealing with anxiety sometimes is planning. I know for me as an anxious person, when I have a plan, when someone says, This is what's going to happen. And if this happens, you have this plan, it makes me feel better. I feel in control and it calms my anxiety. When I'm traveling, I've been traveling a lot since my husband passed away. It's kind of like one of my like, I don't know. We don't have to get into that. But my life shifts. We've been traveling a lot, and so my anxiety goes. Oh my gosh! You're going to get lost. You're not with your husband. What if this happens? What if you don't know how to get here? What if something bad happens? You know. And so I plan. You know, I overplan, but it makes me feel good. I know. I look at the airport. I look at the maps. I look at like where we're going. I look at where to park. Like I pull up things on you know, on Google Maps. I like overplan to the point where I feel like I practically live at the place that we're about to travel because I know where we're gonna eat. And I mean I'm flexible if that doesn't wind up happening, but I feel really good in that like I know exactly how long it's gonna take me from the airport to the hotel and I know what what roads to take. Planning helps make me feel better. It's the same thing with our anxious kids. So when I talk to my daughter and we say, this is what's gonna happen when you feel like you're nauseous. What can you do? Now here are the breadcrumbs, not what what you should do or what I'll tell you to do but I walk her through it. So if you start to feel, and I don't do this every time, but as we were evolving and this was becoming an issue, I would say, if you feel nauseous when you're at school, what can you do? Right? I'm not telling her this is the plan. And so I'm making her think. And when our kids have to think and problem solve for themselves, and when they come up with their own ideas, they tend to do better. They tend to actually listen to themselves. I've had some. Fantastic ideas in therapy, and the child will come up with their own not so fantastic idea. It's like mediocre compared to mine <laughs> and And I'll go with theirs because it's a gateway in, and I know they are ten times more likely to do what they just thought than what I thought because that's just the way human nature is. and so we want to do breadcrumbs. we don't want to spoon feed if possible. Sometimes we have to do a little spoon feeding because our kids are shut down and they're like, there's nothing we could do. And so you do have to kind of start to spoon feed, but in a perfect world, we want to be patient. We want to say, well, what would you do? Think about it. Felt nauseous. What will you do? You're going to do something. And so over time, we got to the point where my daughter would say, okay, well, I will go to the school counselor or I'll go to the nurse. This was like in first, second grade that we were starting to have a lot of problems around emetophobia, right? You can do that. And then you can lay down for a little while. And then what can you do if, you know? If Cloud decides to like leave you alone, then what can you do? Okay. Then I can go back to class. Okay. So now you've got a plan, right? And if your friends happen to see you throw up, what can you do? Well, I'll go to the nurse. It'll be embarrassing. I'm like, what What does Cloud say? What's the, what's the worst thing that can happen? What's the worst red thought that can happen? According to Cloud? Also notice what I'm doing is I'm also personifying and separating out her anxious thoughts from who she is, because sometimes it's embarrassing. like. I don't think that, but my anxiety thinks that. Now, if that personification aspect doesn't work for your child, which it doesn't for every kid, then don't do it, right? Find what works for you. And so she would say, you know, if they're going to be mean or make fun of me, then they're not my friend. And I'm like, you're right. They're not your friend. So then it doesn't matter, right? So, I mean, I am making this sound super simplistic, but I'm talking about years of conversations with my daughter. You know, I'm summing it up in like five minutes, but we would have conversations like this all the time, all the time. And so actually what we wound up doing is when she was having anxiety in the classroom, her teacher, I think that was like first grade. So she's in fourth grade right now, just to give you some perspective, if you don't listen to me or haven't listened to me in the past. So I talked to her teacher and her teacher will prompt her. She had a journal and she would write her red thoughts and green thoughts down in her journal to help her feel better. And you have to be careful if you're dealing with OCD because that could be compulsive, right? And that's where, you know, she didn't really have a lot of compulsive behaviors like that. Actually, she didn't have, she wasn't really diagnosed with OCD at that time. And so, you know, if she had any compulsions around writing or mental, compuls- I wouldn't, I wouldn't suggest that, but I had her write those things down. And so it was a way for her not to leave the classroom or go to the nurse or call me because we wanted the least disruptive approach. And so- We went from her going to the nurse all the time, her not being able to eat in the lunchroom, her not being able to go out at recess, her not being able to do PE, but at least going to school, right? So we started with school refusal and then we got her to school, but without any of those things. So she'd have to like, she was living at the nurse and the counselor's office. This is first grade. And then we slowly worked on getting her back into PE, getting her back into recess, getting her eventually back into the cafeteria, which was the hardest part. Because later we found out that she had celiac. <laughs> and so she was nauseous because, and she actually later, 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 we found out this past year that she is incredibly lactose intolerant to the point where it's like severe. And so she has to take a pill every time she has milk. And it's not a mild issue. Like she will be doubled over in pain and she will throw up sometimes. So you can see where she did have a health issue and we were ruling it out as we were dealing with the metaphobia. I was kind of like just doing my due diligence and we wound up getting these diagnoses, which were like, oh my gosh, she did have legitimate pain. Did that make the emetophobia go away? No, it didn't. I mean, we addressed the medical aspect and you should always rule out medical. That's what I was doing. I was like, let me just check off that box. She has sensory motor OCD as well around her bladder, went to the doctor to rule that out, make sure that that's not a medical issue, but the stomach turned out to be a true issue. and so that didn't make the fear of throw up go away. Uh, It just took one aspect of a trigger off the table. But whenever she's anxious, her stomach will hurt. And when her stomach hurts, she's afraid she'll throw up. Or sometimes she'll just have a random time where she'll think, what if I throw up? And then that will make her nauseous, right? So sometimes the thought brings the feeling. Sometimes the feeling brings the thought. And so red thoughts and green thoughts are very helpful. I'll give you some other examples. The important aspect about this is and it's so simplistic, but it's it's a simple idea, but it's a hard muscle to grow. And so the red thoughts and green thoughts are how can I think my way out of my anxious thought? And we want our kids to eventually independently do that for themselves. So initially it starts off with you prompting them, what are your green thoughts? Like you start off with, what are your red thoughts? Because don't assume that you know your child's anxiety themes or their current thoughts. Sometimes I'm shocked. When they'll tell me their red thought, I'm like, that wasn't really what I thought you were anxious about. And then what are your green thoughts? And so we want them to generate those for themselves. And it's a language and a framework that we can use during any anxious period of time. My kids know I'm going to say, what are your green thoughts? And then sometimes they'll say, I don't have any. And then I'll say, well, what could you have if you did have some, right? I don't want to rush in and spoon feed them unless I have to. And sometimes I might have to remind them. In the past, your green thought was blah, blah, blah. Now, sometimes they're not in the mood to hear this. They're going to bite your head off and you just need to back away. But when they're calm, you can always go over what are your red thoughts about this thing? What are your green thoughts? Let me give you some other examples. So I'll use me as an example. Let's see. I have red thoughts. I've had red thoughts in the past about social anxiety. And so if there is a party or something, that's actually a lot of. Anxiety for me. And so my red thoughts might be oh my gosh, everyone's going to talk to somebody and everyone's going to be paired off or in little groups talking to each other. And I'm going to just sit there like an idiot. That's going to be so embarrassing. And the green thought might be and this is probably like a current fear because I've like worked through my social anxiety hierarchy. And I think parties are probably like the remnant, the thing that's left for, for my social anxiety, like unstructured large social gatherings make my palms sweat. (laughs) If it's a small gathering, I'm fine because I figure we're all going to talk together and I can handle that. But when it's like 30 people and there's a choice and there's drinks and people are just sitting around casually and you have to like jump into a conversation, that's when the palms start to sweat and go, no, I can't really go there. I can't go to that. But my green thought would be, what's the worst that can happen? That no one's going to talk to you? Okay. Well, if you feel bored and no one's talking to you, then you can leave. Or You could try to use one of your skills and like look for someone who's not talking to anyone and just start a conversation, right? What's the worst thing that will happen if you just sit there and no one talks to you? Well, my red thought is I look stupid and my green thought might be, well, who cares? Why do I care what these people think? And if they're going to be that judgy, do I care? Like that's on them, right? I'm fine. I can just sit there. I'm introverted. I'm not going to jump in every conversation. I don't know a lot of people at this party. In fact, I don't know many or any probably. This is a fake party, but <laughs> the odds are I probably know nobody because I'm not social. So that would be my red thought, green thought. Or I'll give you another one. A red thought would be, oh my gosh, what if someone breaks into my house? A green. I'll, I'll use my son for this. So we'll move out of the adult. My my fears we will move more back into a kid, child. So this helps you. My son who has OCD, but also... In the past, and I'm going back in the past because, you know, knock on wood, they've both been doing really well lately. He's got much more OCD issues currently, but in the past, his anxiety was just as big as his OCD. And he worried about bad guys and he worried about getting hurt at night. And a lot of it was like partly OCD, like intrusive thoughts that someone was going to cut him and cut his head. And he'd have like intrusive images, but also just a fear of his safety. And so I said to him, what are your red thoughts? And he'd be like, well, I'm afraid that someone's going to break into my room. And, you know, I like to go down the rabbit hole and really understand their red thoughts. So how would that happen? What does, and he asked Squishy, that's his anxiety OCD. What does Squishy say? Well, he says like someone can, you know, plunger their way up to the wall, break into my window. He's on the second floor and come in and, you know, cut me or whatever. And then, I said, well, what are your green thoughts? And we actually did take a ladder out to our window outside when he was little and showed him that even a ladder couldn't reach up to his window because his window is so high. And if a ladder, like a really big ladder did come, it would like draw a lot of attention because you'd have to have like an industrial sized ladder to get to your window. Right. And then could they break the glass? And what would happen if the glass broke? Well, I think we'd all hear it and we have an alarm and the alarm will go off. And then we'd all hear it and the police would be called, right? And so I didn't spoon feed these to him. We walked through it very slowly. You had to think about it. What would happen? I don't, I don't know, mom. Well, think about it. What do you think would happen, right? And so it was a slow process. But once those red and green thoughts were in place for that particular fear, I was able to just prompt him. He would say, mom, I'm scared when he was going to bed. And I would say, what are your red thoughts? What if someone's in my closet? What are your green thoughts? How could they get in, right? Nobody, I was home all day. I wouldn't be able to get in. And so this is a little bit harder with younger kids who have more of an imagination. And it was hard with him when he was younger because he was like, you know, people can fly in or they can come through the walls or you're dealing with monsters. And so the green thoughts can be hard, but you want to find what their green thoughts are because kids can come up with their own green thoughts, even if it's magical that make them feel better. So that's the red thought, green thought. I think you probably pretty much get that. And when it is coming to feelings, so I'm feeling like I want to throw up or I'm feeling like I'm having a panic attack, no thought, right? Because a lot of times when we're dealing with panic attacks, not anxiety attacks, panic attacks are physiological, like a hiccup of the nervous system. And all of a sudden you could just be talking to someone and then your heart starts to beat and it's starting to race and you start to feel overwhelmed and it can happen. It's not triggered. And so then when you feel the panic attack, I don't know why I said that weird panic attack. (laughs) That's when you start to panic because it's really just an attack until you have the panic about the attack, right? And I actually just did a YouTube video on that. I will leave a link in the show notes on panic attacks. I have done a couple of things on panic attacks, but this was talking about the avoidance that panic attacks can cause, which actually create this vicious cycle, but that's not what we're talking about right now. And so when I feel the panic attack and my thoughts start to go, oh my gosh, you can't handle this. I can't believe you're having one right now. What are you going to do? This is so embarrassing. I mean, there's lots of red thoughts that can happen. It can be, I can't handle this. My mom's not with me, or it can be I'm at home and I feel like I'm going to have a heart attack. It's the thought that we put on that physiological hiccup that creates more of the panic. And so, even with panic attacks, the red versus green thoughts work because the green thought would be, I'm having a panic attack. These are the symptoms. I normally have shortness of breath. I normally have blah, blah, blah. I can't, I, if I fight this feeling, it's going to grow and it's going to make the panic attack longer. If I accept it and say, this isn't fun, but it's a hiccup that's happening. And let me go to my list of skills that I do when I have a panic attack. And I'm not going to go into those, but a lot of times I'll make. I'll have kids make a video talking to themselves about their panic attack, or they have a playlist or they have a photo folder or something that, that they use to actually redirect their focus because there's nothing wrong with redirecting your focus when you're having a panic attack so that your brain can hook onto something other than your heartbeat or your feeling faint or whatever physiological things you're having. But the first step before you do that is the acknowledgement of I'm having a panic attack. They normally last between, I don't know, 15 to 30 minutes for me. And I'm not going to look at the clock and like think, okay, like on the dot in 30 minutes, this is going to go away. I'm just like, this is what happens. And it's helpful for me to do these coping mechanisms that I've done in the past that kind of help ride through it, right? Just like if I was in labor, I can't stop labor, but I'm going to do something to help me ride through it. I don't know what that might be. It's called an epidural, but (laughs) different than panic attacks. So you can still use the red thought, green thought in a positive way. And I've already talked about a the fear of throwing up, right? So the green thought isn't, I'm not going to throw up or the green thought is, is not, I'm not going to have this panic attack. So sometimes we think the green thought is I'm okay, or the green thought is unrelated to the red thought. So it's just like rainbows, butterflies. It's not a distraction thought. It is a thought that is directly related to addressing that anxious thought. It's sometimes it's not embracing worst case scenario. And that's kind of also where I think anxiety and OCD can differ in approach. So with the metaphobia, which I really think we treat more like OCD, I don't want my daughter to say, I'm not going to throw up. And I don't want to tell her you're going to throw up. I want her to say, I may or may not throw up and either way I'll handle the discomfort. But when my son's having an intrusive thought that someone might break in and his red thought is someone's going to break in and, and slit my throat. I don't want his green thought to be someone may or may not break in and they may or may not slit my throat. I don't want that for anxiety because. That's going to make him more anxious. If I'm in the shower, because I have this theme, if I'm in the shower and I'm worried did I hear a noise, is someone breaking in right now? I don't want to be like, you know, someone may or may not be breaking in right now, but either way, I'll be okay. If I get stabbed or not, it'll be fine. That's not going to work for me. (laughs) But if I say to myself, my green thoughts up, the dog's not barking, you know, and the the dog would bark if someone's next to my door and all my doors are locked and um, I didn't hear anything breaking. And so I'm sure that that's just like the cat moving around. That will calm my nerves and then I'll refocus and I'll say, let's think about what you're doing today. Let's go through that in your head. And then I'm okay. Or for my son, I'll say, what are your green thoughts? And he'll say, and this is another thing that we try to avoid is saying things like, mom is right here. I don't want the green thought to be me as a crutch because that is inadvertently going to really foster some dependency an unhealthy dependency on my location. And so as long as my mom or dad is here, I'm okay. And we inadvertently reinforce that all the time because we'll say, you don't have to be afraid. I'm right here, right? Well, you're not always right there. And when you say you're right here, are you like right by my door? Because now you've told me that you're the one that's keeping me safe. And so I want my bodyguard right at my door, not even right at my door. How about in my bed, in my room? And so it's not natural, but I train parents to say things like we are all safe in this house why are we safe in this house what are your what are your green thoughts about being safe in this house and my son will say well the doors are all locked you know the windows are all locked he'll say the things that keep us safe we live in a safe neighborhood i don't give a false sense of 100% safety right i say what's the likelihood of things happening you know we live in a safe neighborhood it doesn't mean that i'm going to say nothing bad can happen we don't have bad guys we don't want to sell a lie but we're saying the likelihood of things happening. What are the likelihood of things happening? Just like if you have a child who's afraid of thunderstorms, what's the likelihood of our house being hit by lightning? Really, really tiny. And maybe depending on my child, I might look up statistics. Like that's really odd, but you want to look up those kind of statistics before, not in front of your child, because sometimes I've done things like that and it's backfired where I'm like, oh my gosh, that is actually a lot more common than I thought. (laughs) So do your homework, but Sometimes data and statistics can help with anxiety. It will not help with OCD. And that's kind of, again, my point about OCD is you can't rationalize with OCD. I can't say, do you know that the likelihood of you getting sick is blah, blah, blah. OCD doesn't care about facts. Anxiety does. It doesn't mean that the anxiety will go away. But when someone says to me, do you know that the likelihood of you, you know, having someone break into your house is this percentage in your neighborhood? It makes me feel better, right? Right. Or if someone says, if I'm going to a party and they say, you know, nobody knows each other. This is like one of those weird parties where like, no one's going to know anyone. That makes me feel better. That's a fact. I'm like, oh, other people are going to be uncomfortable. Other people are going to want to have to start an uncomfortable conversation. Now I feel really good. If I went to school and it was the first day of school and everybody was new, you know, like ninth grade and high school, I felt better because I felt like at least I'm in the same boat as everybody else versus being the new kid. So- those thoughts can make you feel better. Okay, so I hope, hope I kind of explain this in a way that makes sense to you. To highlight some things, I just wanna say, you wanna really avoid spoon feeding. So once you maybe flush out and decide, and sometimes I would do this with my clients in a very concrete way. Write out all your red thoughts about this topic. What are your green thoughts? I would actually do a worksheet with them that I created. And if you are in my AT Parenting community, and you are an AT therapist member, because I have a, like a little sub subgroup that are in the AT parenting community and they are therapists. Some of them are parents and some of them are just therapists. You do have a worksheet on that that I've created that I have given you. So you can look in your portal, but you can do that as a parent. Just write red thoughts, green thoughts, and then have them write it. Don't write it for them because there's something about them writing it unless they have a writing issue and it's gonna create a lot of resistance. But even them writing out those things Helps their brain really process it. I have to think about what my red thoughts are. Then I'm writing them down. Now think of some green thoughts related to that and don't make them about every fear. You want to be tackling one fear at a time. So if I'm talking to my daughter about what are your red thoughts, I'm going to say, what are your red thoughts about throwing up? I'm not going to be doing like, let's do a whole chart of like every theme that you have and let's do red thoughts for each one. Just pick one issue. Don't overwhelm your child or yourself. What's your front burner issue? What's the thing that's really causing a daily struggle? And just focus on that for a little while. And so what are your red thoughts around throwing up? You know, and then you might want to personify it. What does your cloud say about, about throwing up? Well, says that I'm going to throw up. That's normally the first red thought. And then we move on from there. What does your, what does Squishy say about hearing a noise at night? What are your red thoughts? I normally would do it when spontaneously when my kids were having a problem. I can't go in there. Why? It's scary. Okay. What are your red thoughts about it? Well, it's dark. Okay. What's a red thought about it being dark? Well, someone could be hiding in the closet. Okay. What's a green thought for that? Well, I've been home all day. I haven't seen anyone. I don't know if anyone would be really quiet and sit there for that long, you know, and what's a challenge you can do? We're not going to talk about challenges, but that's kind of where I go after this with a lot of anxiety or OCD. What can you do? You know, can you challenge yourself? Can you earn two brave points and go into the closet anyway? I don't think I can. Can you turn a light on and then go in? Well, maybe if you stood by the door, okay, I'll stand by the door, but I'm not going to go near the closet. And then can you do that? Just remind yourself of your green thoughts. Okay. So you can see how it plays out. This is what I teach in my how to teach kids to crush anxiety course is our job is so important. We need to teach our kids how to crush their anxiety or their OCD, but I'm not talking about that today. And so we play a pivotal role. Unfortunately, some parents think they play a pivotal role in the sense that they need to spoon feed these skills and they need to do it for their child. And that's where we go wrong. We actually need to take the longer process of the breadcrumbs and getting them to connect the dots and then walking them through it. And it is slower, but it sticks. It's more long term because ultimately we want our kids to be independent and we want them to be able to be a self soother, a self starter, and that we want them to have an anxious thought because we're not going to be there all the time. They're sitting there in school. They have an anxious thought. Are we there? Hopefully not, right? And they're going to have to say to themselves, okay, well, I'm having this anxious thought. What can I say to myself to calm me down? And um, and that's where you don't want to get into the mental compulsions, right? Because if you have an OCD intrusive thought, we don't want them to be like, you know, coming up with a saying that they have to say every time they feel an intrusive thought. That can turn into a mental compulsion. But if I'm sitting there at school and I think, oh my gosh, there might be a school shooting. And I'm really, really feeling really nervous that I'm going to have to have green thoughts about that. And they're not going to be, there cannot be a school shooting. It might be the likelihood of a school shooting happening at this time, in this moment, at this hour, in this school, in this class right now is very tiny. And I, sometimes I'll use green thoughts where I'll go back to, I am safe right now. Nothing is happening right now. Especially if you live in the what if land. I know when my husband died and this, you know, it's been a year, but I still like, I'll have episodes where I'll just get into like a full-blown panic. I'll be like all calm. And then all of a sudden, like I'll have a thought and I'll think, oh my gosh, I'm totally alone. What's going to happen when I'm like 70? And like, what if, what if I need knee surgery? Now, granted, I, I'm not having knee surgery, right? This has nothing to do with anything in reality. What if I need knee surgery? And like, who's going to push me around in my wheelchair or like, you know, who will build me a ramp and who will, and I'll have like just panic, And I'm living in the future, a future that doesn't exist, a future that may never exist. And I'm like completely panicked about it and consumed. And my green thought is very simple. My green thought is you are okay right now. Right now you have your legs. Right now your knees are okay. Right now you have three kids at home and you have some friends now that you've developed. Right now you're doing okay. Everything in your world is okay right now. You are okay. And so I don't even need to go down the rabbit hole of like, are my knees going to be okay or not? My knees are fine. <laughs> like I don't have a problem with my knees right now. I don't need to even go down that rabbit hole. All I need to remind myself with some of my what ifs is right now I'm okay. Right now I'm fine. So that's even a good green thought. Teach your child how to ground themselves. You're doing okay right now. You are actually blah, 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 teaching them how to look around the room and see where they are and see their situation and know your parents aren't dead. Your parents are right here. Right, your friends are right here. Nobody, you know, your dog is not dead right now. I know you're worried about your dog dying, but is your dog dead right now? No, right? Anxiety is robbing you the time that you have with your dog because you're worried about your dog dying, and you're not in the moment. You're in the future. Future will come, and we don't get to control what happens in the future. But right now, your dog's staring at you, going, "Hello, are you going to pet me? Or are you just going to have that panic look on your face?" <laughs> so these are the skills that we can t- teach our kids, and they're really important skills. And they are lifelong skills. They are skills that have pulled me out of the depths of darkness when my husband died because all that anxiety disorder gunk that has lived in my body forever wanted to resurface. And I've had to do a lot of red thoughts, green thoughts on a daily basis. And I continue to do them on a daily basis because that is what grounds me. It brings me back to center. And I think, okay, I'm doing okay right now. And those skills have been sharpened for a very long time. And those are skills that my kids will have. And won't have to wait until they're adults to develop them because they're learning them now and your kids can learn them now too. And that's a gift that you're giving them to be resilient in life, to learn how to handle the bumps because they're learning how to handle those bumps now versus a lot of kids who aren't learning these skills. Maybe they don't need to, or they're not being taught to. And this goes way beyond anxiety disorders. This is just life skills. Can you think your way out of a problem? Can you calm yourself down? Can you handle an avalanche of anxious thoughts, which can happen to anybody at any time, depending on what life circumstances want to bring them. And can you get to the other side? And these simple tools that seem really simple, like red thoughts and green thoughts are huge because they're not intuitive. Very, very off. I mean, I almost have never met a person who naturally did this in childhood or adulthood. Even it's something that has to be trained and taken over. Like, you know, being cognizant and aware of your thoughts and once you have that awareness and you can do something about it and you can lean towards fear and not avoid fear, stick your head in the sand and try to pretend it's not happening because it is. <laughs> so, a couple other just quick ideas that I just want to throw out there before I wrap up. So, the journal idea, journaling red and green thoughts. You can have a mantra. I like mantras. You just don't want you want to be very careful about that with OCD. We don't want that to be kind of some kind of compulsion. I have a ring and I actually got this ring right before my husband died. Ironically, I started a lot of weird things right before he died, almost like intuitively I was setting up things to make myself feel better. Like I bought myself flowers the day before he died, just spontaneously. And I'd never done that before. I just like, I just want fresh flowers in the house. And I bought them and he was like, why do you buy flowers? I'm like, I want to buy flowers for myself. And I bought myself a ring the week that he died, or it was like, it came in the mail the week that he died. And it says, you are enough. A silver ring. It's really simple. It's actually probably not even real silver. It's probably nickel, but I do like it. And it says "You are enough." And when I'm feeling anxious, I look down at this ring and I remind myself, "I am enough." You know, yes, I would rather have him too, but I am enough. I had bought it for my social anxiety. Like, I am enough. I don't need you to like me in order for me to be okay and be enough. But ironically, it plays a big role in where I am now. That I am enough. I'm enough to take care of my kids. I am enough to live on my own. I am enough. And so you can, there's so many like inspirational jewelry out there that you can have your kids buy or wear that kind of remind them of their green thoughts. Also, I think it can be helpful to have like a playlist that's inspiring. And even if they have on their phone, they have photos or memes or things that are inspiring for them. Those can be helpful when they're not at home too. So I hope that you found this helpful. If you are enjoying my podcast, don't forget to hit a star and rate it because that does really help the podcast. If you have a few moments, if you can leave a review, I greatly appreciate that. I did actually get a review this week. (laughs) Sounds like I never get reviews. I do get reviews, but it's been kind of quiet. And so normally if I get one, I like to read them to show my gratitude. If you don't leave it on Apple, I think sometimes I have a, I don't get it right away or I may not get it, but I feel like I find most of them. But if I don't and I haven't read yours, I apologize. But I do want to say thank you to Curious Kids 2018, who wrote, and from Australia, I like that, Better Than Therapy, Better Than Any Therapy, which I really like the heading of that, it's nice of you to say. This podcast has been more helpful to me than any therapist we have actually seen for help. I've learned so much from Natasha and apply many strategies for anxiety and OCD in the home now. I love all the firsthand stories she tells of her own family, which are so relatable. Thank you. Well, thank you for taking the time to write that. I really appreciate that. And maybe if you write a review, I'll be reading yours next time. So don't forget to find the sparkle in everything you do. And I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com.